everybody. I'm Greg Sharp, also known as Gregory Alexander Sharp, and I'm author of the supernatural thriller Il Lupo, and I'll be your host on this pod by the fireside. It's an exciting moment for me, this. It's my very first podcast, and actually, well, it's my first one as a host anyway, and it's definitely the very first one in a summer series on one of my favourite subjects, which is werewolves. We're going to dedicate five episodes to this subject uh, because there's so much to cover. I mean, werewolves have been a feature of our society in Europe and beyond for centuries, and they've moved from accepted fact through myth and folklore into popular culture, media, movies, literature and art. I mean, I don't want to sound like a nutter, or perhaps I should say lunatic, but they're bloody everywhere, these werewolves. They're everywhere. Anyway... These podcasts will take the form of a fireside chat, which is a modern way of saying two people rambling on about a subject they may or may not know something about for the enjoyment and potential edification of other people whose job it is just to listen. That's you lot out there, by the way. I hope there's a lot of you, but who knows? It might just be you. Anyway, I'll leave it up to you to decide whether or not I know what I'm talking about. We'll find out in, uh, in due course. In the series on werewolves, we'll cover a few different topics, including episodes which are going to be broadly speaking dedicated to uh, werewolves in folklore and mythology, lycanthrope literature, werewolves at the movies. There will be an episode dedicated to Werewolf the Podcast and Il Lupo and some other works of literature that are surrounding those. Uh, but today we're going to be starting with a bit of an introduction to us. And that's going to be, when I say us, that's not me and my posit. That's me and my very special guest, and I'll introduce him in just a moment. And we're going to explain to you why on earth we give a flying crap about this subject in the first place. And maybe that will give you some insight into the wacky worlds of our inner, inner workings. So that's going to be five episodes, okay, representing the five points on the pentagram. That's the five-pointed star, and that's the mark of the werewolf. See what we've done there? Almost like it was planned. Uh, but, you know, don't go falling into that trap. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring in my special guest. He's a very special guest. And apart from being a friend of mine, he's a podcaster of actually, and I'm not mucking about, of global renown, a globally successful podcaster in his own right, very learned individual on all things werewolfy and a whole bunch of other subjects as well, which we'll maybe get into either in the due course of this conversation or other conversations in the future. He's a published author many times over. My God, I sound like I'm introducing somebody on This Is Your Life, but I'm not. I'm introducing the one, the only, Fenrir Thorvaldsson. Hey, Fen. Welcome Hello. to the pod. How are you? I'm pretty awesome. How yeah, are you? That was a fantastic introduction. I, don't, I can't wait till he turns up. Who is this guy? <laughs> All you've got to do now is live up to it, right? <laughs> uh, no chance of that. God almighty. No, definitely not. No, it's a nice place you've got here, by the way. Uh, yeah, I know the fire's roaring. It's uh, you know very atmospheric. Uh, for mm. anyone who can't see it, trust me, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name's uh, Fen, Fenrir Thorvaldsson. That is my real name. Nobody believes me. It's really difficult to get a restaurant booking. Um and I uh, I write about werewolves and stuff, and I love werewolves. They're my favourite thing. I have a, a, a podcast that somehow 
I don't really understand that it's got into the top 10% of podcasts in the world every now and again. It goes in and out, fluctuates a bit. To say that it's a niche subject is um, a bit different, but I kind of started this idea um, just to have a character that I could throw at the world because I was getting to be a grumpy old man and he could do the things that I couldn't do. He's since then expanded to be quite funny as well, which is a bit weird for a gory, blood-soaked, horrendous podcast. But apparently there's a lot of people out there that like that, which is a bit worrying. And that's how I met uh, Greg. He uh, messaged me one day on Twitter, walking his dog, and was telling me how he was laughing his head off in the park, walking the dog, listening to some of the most grotesque and graphic violence that you could probably listen to on a podcast with his small cocker spaniel. So, so true. Yeah. So thank you for inviting me, Greg. I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, let's get into this werewolf thing. Let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, it's There's so much to, to cover. Um, and as you know, everyone, I'm Greg, and I was born at a very early age in the south of England to a northern father and a mum from the northeast of Scotland. I do a businessy thing by day. Uh, and I write a bit too, and my first book was all about uh, werewolves. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, you've got the two of us here to talk about this subject matter. Uh, and in this episode, Fen and I are going to talk about how we first got into the genre in the first place, uh, why we think werewolves still hold such an important place for us in our imaginations, you know, even to this day. So, you know, sit back, hold on tight and enjoy. Okay, so we are holed up in a log cabin or something on the edge of a winter-stricken forest in the middle of nowhere. It's dark and the moon is rising. Fen and I are sat here with a cup of something grown up and soothing to wash away the cares of the day. You know, we've been out gathering firewood. We've been probably, I don't know, buying pizzas or something like that. Other adult pursuits. And anyway, here we are all safe in our little log cabin at the fireside. But what are we going to talk about? Oh, I know, werewolves. So let's kick it off. Tell me, Fen, how old were you when, well, if you can remember this, when you first sort of came across the genre, maybe when you first became aware of it, what, what was going on for you? How did that happen? When I first became an a werewolf, and a, a werewolf, and a werewolf is and a werewolf of werewolves. Um, I was quite young. My brother, um, him, he is one of these reenactors who pretends to be a Viking at the weekends, uh, and goes around and batters people with swords and all that kind of stuff. And I remember him sitting down at dinner one night talking about the Norse gods and how much fun they were and all that kind of stuff. And he was talking about um, all these different characters and the way they acted and the idea that humans could have certain spirits. And little me sat there, didn't realise he was talking about Fenrir, of course. Fenrir, the, the Norse god. And from that, I, I kind of had a, a resolute love of love of wolves because the name implies that I should have that, really, to be honest. Um and then uh, I became kind of an avid reader 
uh, of the trashiest novels you can get your hands on. Um, a lot of those pulp horror novels always seem to come back to one of these guilt-ridden poor creatures that are cursed in the forest. And then I got into the folklore of uh, the lichen, as it were, as the kids call them, the lichens. Uh, and it just went on from there. And then uh, as the films started to come out and you didn't have to go to the cinema to, to see them anymore, you could go down to the local blockbuster and hire whatever you wanted that's kind of uh, where it came from from there but i always felt i don't know attracted to these big hairy brutish beasts that would go out there and do their do their thing and yeah it just they just seem to be better than vampires sorry no i'm not <laughs> supposed to say that they just seem to be better better than vampires. You know, you can tell I'm a writer with my kind of vocabulary. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I, I got into them. It was, uh, again, being dragged there by my brother, um, as he often did through life. Yeah. It was, yeah. Wicked. Yeah. And now, yeah, and now, now yeah, the, I, I use the werewolf to, to go and do stories that I really wish I could react like he does. Yeah. yeah indeed. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the sort of basis of all good fiction is that it's got to take you somewhere that's different, right, to where you, you get to yourself. Um, for sure, um, Will and Fen in your in your podcast works get up to things that I actually wouldn't want to. Um, but a lot of the uh, a lot of the responses they make, I find perhaps I'm too polite to. But you know, the the one liners are in there. Um, <laughs> And they probably haven't come out quite so frequently since I left my twenties behind back at the end of the the nineteen nineties, you know. But yeah. uh, those guys are undiluted in a way, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think I think the great thing that you can have when you when you write and you create this these characters is that you can have them be whoever they are, and you've probably found it the same with your characters in your book. Um, I, I I mean you. I've, I've read your book. It's brilliant. Um, and you can see the characters develop as, as they go along, but they often take on a life, a life of their own because I don't know, Will started off as being this kind of cool sort of hard nosed, nasty piece of work. And it seems somehow that he's, I'm now on, on Apple, I, on Apple podcasts, somehow I have been put under the comedy uh, yeah. banner which shocked me to death <laughs> but apparently if it gets reviewed and stuff it gets they ask what kind of genre do they think it's from and yeah i've I've gone under the the comedy genre which is a bit of a shock for me it was a pleasant shock because yeah. if people are laughing at this i don't know if they should be laughing at it though do you know what i mean but, it, but at the end of the day it is your sense of humor right it's yeah you, you know the the wit is your wit and the the the, the fun you know the the sense of itchiness that came out of last week's episode that a lot of people on your Facebook group were laughing about, you know, that, that <laughs> kind of stuff, it, it does come from you. Now, it may come from you under the guise of that's what Fen would say or that's what Will would say, but ultimately yeah. it's from you, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think there are lots of uh, lots of situations in life, especially as a grumpy older man, where you have to bite down on your tongue and just sit there and smile when in in reality you you'd really like to tear the world apart and now i've got a 
a character in which I can do that. And a werewolf is the perfect thing for that because as I was as through folklore and mythology, it's the, the ability to release the beast. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. he has this secondary mind, the the animal mind that he can then just go screw this and just yeah. throw it to the four winds and we're gonna we're gonna do the ridiculous thing. We're gonna kill everyone in the room. Why? Because my steak wasn't cooked right or whatever, yeah. you know. It's just a bit bizarre, but I, I find it incredibly good fun. Absolutely. And it's that um that whole uh from there's a line in the film Gladiator, I seem to recall, where is was it Maximus was the name of the character, wasn't it? And he's and he says, on my command, unleash hell. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like this yeah. very binary kind of switch from we're not doing anything right now. We're just sat here. We're doing nothing. It's okay. Everything's fine. And then it's not fine anymore. You know, yeah. absolutely worlds apart in a blink of an eye. Yeah. That's this juxtaposition that you get with a werewolf that you don't get with a vampire, actually, to your point. The, mm. the vampire tends to have this kind of, um, sinister intent about them at all times. Yeah, they, they right. always they always seem to have a plan. Yeah, do you know what I mean? They have a plan for this. They have a plan. All, all the all the buddies that I've kind of known have always had a plan. And yes. One of the things that I do in my werewolf character is I don't necessarily have him a, have him have a plan. I just have him end up in a situation, and how would he react to that situation? And sometimes it it turns out to be one of the most horrendous, awful, repugnant people yeah. on the planet. And then other times, shockingly, he can be quite nice. Yeah. She's a bit yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's the shock when that comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it's, as you say, the, the werewolf allows you to do that because it is that beast you can release. You know, yeah. it's not, it isn't planned. It's how much of this can I take before I let out the animal as it were, you know, yeah. and, uh, it, it, it is a it it's a wicked genre to, to be able to do that with you know to be able to to use that as your as your chess piece of choice really as i call it you know yeah yeah absolutely well i mean for me in my early childhood one of my earliest kind of memories of anything to do i'm going to use the word literature very broadly here uh i, I was at kingston hospital with my mum and i was about three and I was there for something. There was something they were investigating me for and um, sat in a waiting room and there were some magazines and stuff on this, on this little table there. They wouldn't have that at Kingston hospital now, but they, in those days they used to have uh, like magazines and comics and stuff. And one of the, and this is like, I don't know, 1974. And uh, there was a fantastic four annual and it's burnt into my memory. I, got absolutely blown away by what I'd seen. I'd never seen anything like it. And the character, the thing really caught my imagination. So I went home and I told my dad, I'd seen this amazing thing. And, um, so he went out and got me some Marvel comics. Right. And one of them was the Hulk. All right. So now you can probably see whether. Yeah. 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 Again, it's release of the beast, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many similarities there. Um, about this how much more can i take before you know this is all going to go really yeah. badly wrong for you um and it really is don't get me angry you really won't like me when i'm angry you know exactly it's exactly yeah. that and 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 i so i found at the age of sort of four or five or six i found myself very deeply immersed in that and then there was an abbott and costello series on saturday mornings on 
probably BBC Two, I'm guessing, maybe BBC mm. One, I don't know. Probably, no, Grandstand would have been on with a sport on BBC One. It would have been BBC Two. And uh, so there were all these comedy films and I can remember watching them and thinking how funny they were. And then they had the Abbott and Costello meet Dracula and Frankenstein. 1959. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd have the year. And you will also, of course, recall uh, that it was uh, Bella Lugosi playing the part yeah. of Dracula and Lon yeah. Chaney Jr. playing yeah. the Wolfman and Glenn Strange, I think it was, who played Frankenstein's monster in that, yeah. that edition of the... It's actually a classic, really. To be great honest, film. All, all the greatest, all the greatest actors have all the greatest roles in there. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, and I I kind of got instantly taken by uh, the Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman character, mm. and um, it, I guess I sort of I I wound up. You know, I had Action Man toys and all this kind of stuff. I was that age, but I also got a, a vampire, a Dracula. Right. Yeah. Um, a Frankenstein's monster toy and a and a Wolfman that looked yeah. like Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman, and that was kind of where I got drawn into it. Was through in through comics, in through the side door, then in through this comedy film. Um, yeah. And then I guess in the late seventies, early eighties, there was a series of um, a golden age of uh, Hollywood horror movies came on a TV, and I yeah. got to see. The original 1931 Dracula with Bela Lugosi, yeah. thereabouts, I think 1933 Frankenstein. Yeah. And what was it, 1942 The Wolfman? You'll know this. For, yeah, 1942, yeah. I mean, there's, there was others before that, but. Werewolf of um, London before that? Well, there's there a, a lot of them, but quite a few of them have been lost. The, the werewolf. Um, in movie land wasn't quite as loved as the uh, vampires and Frankensteins. So uh-huh. um, a lot of the films were just thrown away at the end of their runs. So right. a lot of the, the best, I, I always find it really funny because I just wrote this book on werewolf movies and uh, it was quite funny to find that the first ever werewolf, werewolf movie in 1913 is now unavailable. There's like three photographs of what happened during the filming and things. Right. Yet, it has a rating on IMDb of 65%. <laughs> and five, and five people have reviewed it. <laughs> There's been a lot of very old people out there using IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, quite, I'm quite looking forward to these time travellers to uh, send me a copy. In, in my book, I'm like, email me a copy if you've got one. <laughs> yeah, please. But yeah, those, those, I think the Wolfman and, as you say, Cheney is the... Is the the first of it, isn't he? He's the, yeah. he's the real one. I, I always wonder with that kind of era, what if we'd have gone down the Nosferatu line for the uh, vampires uh, instead of the vampires, <laughs> if you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's always interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, vampires, you know, I have a place in my heart for vampires too, but I look back at some of the vampire films I saw when I was growing up and... I guess the big difference for me between vampires and werewolves was vampires were always kind of spooky mm. and werewolves were always kind of terrifying, right? This, mm. this a monster, werewolf's a monster that's just going to rip you to pieces and eat yeah. you. And a vampire's a sinister, a sinister yeah, yeah. supernatural creature that wants to do you harm. Yeah. Um, and you could, you could say the same of both, but the werewolf's going to do it in a remarkably violent manner. There's a, there's, there's a, there is a distinct difference between the two camps, as it were, isn't there? 
yeah. as you say yeah I, I completely concur with that yeah I, I mean I I do have a a love for a certain vampires and certain werewolves but mm. I think we're going to talk about that in a bit but yeah I I I, I like I like the vampires genre as well but i don't know there's always been that something special about the hairy beasts i don't know what it is really it's just they seem to to be more like me in spirit i don't know my spirit animals are werewolf spirit animals are werewolf i mean you're literally named after a giant wolf yeah yeah sadly (laughs) (laughs) so look we've pretty much taken care of the 1970s there so Mm -hmm. just before we delve into the vhs era with an with an eye on history prior to that point what would you say is and this is a very subjective question i'm not going to ask you what you think is the best werewolf movie to that point but what would you say was your favorite before vhs came out oh uh, having watched 356 of them that's a very difficult question You're right um what my actual real favorite is a 1972 Mexican <laughs> wow. version called Blue Blue Dos Santos de Dominique, which is mm-hmm. um, it was a famous Mexican wrestler of the time who made movies where he would fight the bad guys. Okay. So every every movie in his series, he would fight like the mafia boss. He would fight the gangsters here. He would fight the the bad people over here. The the boss who was being horrible to you know, and he could walk around in his blue and red mask. Okay. And then one of his films is he fights a werewolf, and it is the worst <laughs> film that ever been made. In in I just it's horrendous. But laugh and enjoy. Right. I, the, the guy transforms into the werewolf, and you can literally see at one point where there's a hand in the shot with a bit of fluff just before it sticks it on and it comes out again and fantastic it's just it's just one of the best and that made the final edit yeah yeah i i think if i if i look back at the history of those films i think they would turn out 12 a year and in mexico it was the biggest thing going you know because it was mexican cinema which they obviously didn't have a lot of but yeah that is my truly my my favorite werewolf film because it is so ridiculous um i suppose oh there's a there's one called the werewolf in 1927 i think which introduces a lot of what we believe is werewolf folklore but actually they just invented it for that film right so a lot of the a lot of the ideas about the moon turning the werewolf came out in that film the idea of um, silver uh, bullets. That's the first time a silver bullet had ever been used to kill a werewolf. Right. Um, it was the first time that um, you could poison them with a wolfsbane. It was like <laughs> what you think is a lot of werewolf folklore. They actually turned it around on its head now. And what we assume is, because up to then, werewolves, you were cursed and you you were had a spell done to you. And you either carried an item of wolf memorabilia, which turned you into a wolf, or you would just turn into a wolf. And it was the first time to see a wolf man as well, because up to then you were either the wolf or the man. Uh-huh. So it was the first real proper wolf man yes. that was on the film. So I suppose that kind that of was, hybrid body. Yeah, that was, that was the kind of time to see the actual first werewolf as it were. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
black and white, obviously. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, very very good film. Uh, I love it on YouTube. Would that be a silent movie in that era? Um, it's. I think it, it. You can get it silent movie, but that someone has dubbed it on YouTube as well with okay. Um, okay. speech image. Um, it's it's one of the most sort of top werewolf films any of I, uh, I might have got the date wrong I probably need to look that up but yeah that it's that's a standout because it actually has a, a proper werewolf in it for the first time yeah great brilliant okay yeah. well thank you um so with with that said turning our attention towards what, what people of our age tend to think of as a more contemporary era where we could get big square <laughs> boxy plastic things and shove them in the front of another big square yeah. boxy plastic thing and you could watch movies on it um, that was world changing wasn't it do you remember what uh what an absolute game changer as they yeah. say yeah i mean my my first memories of the the vhs era coming in apart from my dad coming home with this this weird looking box it, we struggled to figure out how to get it to tell the time um yeah don't do anything else uh, was the fact that you could go to the local video store at any age, right, and get just about any video because whilst yeah. you had X ratings at the cinema, nobody seemed to care about that when you were hiring a VHS. Because no. the the spotty Herbert who was behind the counter at the cash desk didn't really give a, a damn how old you were as long as you bought his his things. I mean, in my local video store, they did have a curtained off section where the kids weren't allowed to go. So I never saw into that black hole of whatever that was, but um, yeah, the horror the horror area was completely open to us, and we also had the spotty Herbert behind the desk who was an expert in the horror genre, of course, because what he must do all day is just sit and watch the new videos as they come in. So once he got to know us, he would go, "Oh, you need to watch this," yeah. and he was often right. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs a spotty Herbert like that in their local video store. That's yeah, yeah. I just I I worry what's happened to these people. You know, you know, they must still be out there somewhere. I hope they are. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing now, though. I have no idea. But yeah, the 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 VHS tape was a changing everything for me because we could go and get any kind of genre of movie instantly, and I I was into. Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies yep. and I was yep. into horror movies with monsters. Yes. Those were my things really. Uh, yeah. Well, absolutely the same here. Um, I mean, it was because of VHS video shops that I got my first access to Bruce Lee movies. There'd been, he did like, um, I think it was a James Garner. Was it a Philip Marlowe movie or something like that? He'd done and he, he uh, played the part of an enforcer and that had been on the TV. And in this film, I can't remember which film it was, but he had this very brief scene where he walks into the um, detective's office to issue a warning and he smashes the office up, right? He jumps in the air and he kicks the lampshade off the ceiling and he smashes the desk with his fist and all this kind of stuff. And I'd seen um, David Carradine in Kung Fu and I'd done some judo by this point but I'd, mm. I'd not really we didn't really have uh, kung fu in our area and around that time we sort of we we got access to bruce lee for the first time and we thought he was like a real life superhero we thought wow this guy's extraordinary <laughs> <Unbelievable>. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. but also at that time i guess and i'm talking around the sort of 1981 82 that sort of thing there were two blockbuster werewolf movies um that sort of came on the scene uh and changed it for modernized it for me uh because the use of special effects in these two particular films uh wasn't like anything i'd ever seen because mm-hmm. prior to that i'd only ever had access to things on the tv and they were notoriously edited and and um put on late at night and things like yeah that. There, was, there was no violence or any kind of blood or yeah, I, I mean it wasn't maybe as pc as we like to remember but it was definitely it definitely wasn't vhs uh, rated movie was it no i mean things like deliverance you know the burt reynolds movie yeah the most disturbing and unsettling scenes in that if you were to watch it now you didn't get those on itv on a saturday night um, yeah you know back in the day but the two films i guess that i'm referring to and i'd love to get your take on both of these is of course an american werewolf in london, london? Of course. Yeah. Uh, oh, one of the most famous and of course the first the howling uh, oh yeah, and those were the two that I'd sort of, at the, I don't know, about the age of twelve or something, managed to get my hands on a copy of both of those, and I was just like, I, I want to watch this stuff for the rest of my life. This is brilliant. I, I, I found, I, I, I mean, the the Werewolf in London is brilliant, and it's a very good film of its time. The the actors in it are amazing. The everything in it really is amazing for the time it was it was filmed in, and the direction and. Uh, the cast is just absolutely superb and it did bring a different angle to the werewolf as it were as um it just just so well done and the the howling itself was fantastic the ones after that were a bit ugh. yeah but it, i the werewolf in london sticks out for me particularly because i think for the next 20 years they tried to remake that movie <laughs> and and again and again yeah using basically the same premise and all that kind of stuff um, before we broke into the new kind of way of looking at werewolves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the transformation scenes were something incredible um, to say there was no CGI or any of that business back then. And yeah, I, the, the howling for me doesn't really stand out as much as the, the werewolf in London. But yeah, that was, and you've got Miss Agatha, of course, which yeah. really helped. Indeed, a very very posh lady speaking um but yeah i I do like that and uh some of the what what gets me is that i can show my like godson that at the age of 12 and he gets it how that's an amazing film you know he might take the mickey out of the 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 scenes where he's transforming it just looks like rubber you know but like he still gets the idea of what is going on in there oh it kind of reminds me in a way of of like the original alien film that mm-hmm. original alien film you don't actually see a lot of the alien you see it every now and again as a shadow you see it in the background you see it and that that's what worries you in the werewolf in london is yeah. that you know it's out there yeah <laughs> you've got him as an individual and then when he's the werewolf he's out there somewhere <laughs> yeah it's, it's coming right you know it's yeah coming. and that's yeah. the problem <laughs> yeah it should really have the jaws. Yeah. And I kind of, I guess, you know, certainly flicking forwards a bit to when I started to think about um, 
how I would want to portray a werewolf story. That that was what I wanted to get back to a little bit was that um, in in a novel, which was going to be a few hundred pages long, I didn't want it to be here's everything I got in the second chapter, mm-hmm. right? And the rest of yeah. it is just going to be another forty chapters of the same. Um, I wanted to I wanted to build that sense of jeopardy. And I certainly think you get that with American Wealth in London. There's a, a lovely sequence where he's just kind of bored out of his mind, hanging around at Jenny Agatha's flat and he's yeah, yeah. trying to pass the time of day. But we know, right, that as the clock is going round, the sunset is drawing ever closer and it suddenly starts to switch mood a little bit. The cat yeah. is at him, you know, and it's it all starts to get a bit scarier after that point. Um, and uh, I kind of like that in a werewolf movie where it builds a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, something's wrong. Yes. Yeah. Um, it comes at it from a completely different angle than, than I go at it. I mean, your book is mine's completely from the point of view of the antagonist. So yeah, I, I, I kind of like that back background dread, Yeah, you know, that it's going to go all wrong, but we don't really know how it's going to go wrong. It's a very different premise, though, right? Because viewing the world through the eyes of the werewolf, it's very different. Yeah, definitely. Um, But I think think with things like the werewolf in London and stuff like that, we we saw a kind of, as you say, and you see it in your book, you see a, a rebirth into this scary creature that's out there somewhere and it's uncontrollable. Um, and all, although he knows he's cursed and he knows it's got to come to an end at some point and he has his, uh, Jackie's best pal telling him that he needs to kill himself and all these kind of things. It, it, it just shows how he kind of enjoys it, but doesn't kind of enjoy it. He's, he's scared. He's, he's worried. He meets this beautiful woman and, you know, then he has to, decide what he's going to do you know mm-hmm. yeah and if she can love a face like that then you know she can love anybody can't she <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is when she stood at the end of the alleyway speaking to the werewolf i love you i was yeah. like oh god there's hope for me yet you do <laughs> you just seen the close-up of his face he's got massive teeth <laughs> yeah but it, is a, it is a great film it is a great film yeah it certainly is true Point of trivia on that. Film? Sorry. I was just going to say, point of trivia on that film that a lot of people aren't aware of is I seem to recall Rick Mayle making a very brief appearance in The Slaughtered uh-huh. Lamb. So ah. there's one of the guys um, who, gosh, bald-headed chap, and I'm sure he used to be a professional wrestler in the 60s and yeah. 70s. He tells the, the Remember the Alamo joke. Yeah. Right. And when he delivers the punchline, uh, there's a young guy in the pub repeats it parrot style <laughs> remember the alamo and it's rick mail oh god that's see that's the kind of trivia i should have in the book there you go look out for that. complete right rewrite <laughs> <laughs> second edition <laughs> yeah new edition god damn yeah yeah so what's your favorite werewolf movie then yeah yeah it's it's probably a oh, it's probably a really difficult question for me to answer <laughs> right um American Werewolf in London's right up there. It it really is. Um, it would. I I wound up having my own copy of that on VHS, and I probably watched it a hundred times when I was about thirteen. Um, 
and uh, and wore the whole thing out completely you know but i also got really transfixed by the um original lon chaney um right wolfman the 1942 but there was also and i'm sure you'll you'll remember the the date of this better than I might. I think it might have been around 1947, 48 or ish. I think it was called The Ghost of Frankenstein. Right. And it was one of those sort of compendium movies where they had Dracula yeah, in there. Together, they yeah. had Bella Lugosi playing Igor. Um, Frankenstein's monster was there. And essentially, I think, as I recall, at the beginning of the film, the body of Lawrence Tolbert is exhumed. And it's interfered with for some reason. I, I can't think what reason that might be, but they do something silly. And for some reason he comes back to life. Right. So now he needs to figure out how to get himself uh, terminated permanently. So he's off to find, I think maybe whoever it is, uh, some scientist, I don't think it's Frankenstein, but some scientist who can help him. Anyway, he, he winds up, going to central Europe somewhere, you know, Transylvania probably. Um, and uh, there's a there's a scene in which there's a festival going on in this village in the mountains somewhere in, in central Europe and or Eastern Europe perhaps. And the whole village is singing and there's the, they've got this baritone with an incredibly powerful voice who's singing about how wonderful everything is because of this, this festival. Lawrence Tolbert sat at a table with the, with uh, this woman he's with, who's his guide, and mm. they come over to the table and start singing to this couple. And the singer comes out with this line, uh, "May you both live eternally." And Lawrence Tolbert Ooh. loses <laughs> his shit <Yeah>. because that's <laughs> the last thing he wants, right? And yeah. you know, to your point about the sort of guilt-ridden. Uh, werewolf hiding out in the woods. He wasn't quite that. He hated the fact that he was cursed and he wanted it all over and done with. But he was like a really angry, bitter, yeah. you know, furious, yeah. cursed victim who wasn't having it. And um, this guy just pushed the wrong button and he went absolutely berserk at him. And I can remember that being very influential on me at, at a young age. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, some people really sort of overlook how good some of the acting was in the early movies you know yeah. not just the werewolf movies yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah some of the some of the better because they didn't have all these special effects they didn't have i mean the, the price of film back then was that you you had four cuts and then it was coming out of your wedge you know it was all that kind of thing so they they had to make sure everything was hit on and they were all like my, my favorite actors around that time are all the ex-stage actors uh-huh. who could do the proper voice and yes sir and you know it was all very very good yeah i really I, I really liked that and i think it was sort of retaken up again in like the hammer house series yes all that kind of stuff again um my personal favorite is dog soldiers 2004 ah, that's one of my favorites for sure i love that because, because having hung around lots of soldiers I realise that's how a British soldier would react to werewolves attacking him. Right, right. Let's have him. <laughs> whatever the whatever the f- is out there, we're having it. <laughs> you you can do whatever you want. You're going to win. We're going to die, but we, you're going to have a a real tough time doing yeah. it. Going to hurt <laughs> like I, hell. I love, that. I love the premise behind it. I love the idea behind it. Sean Pertwee is one of my favourite yes. actors. Um, yeah, just 
absolutely fantastic film. I mean, every every part of it is so well done, even down to the costuming for the werewolves on stilts. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just something brilliant about that film. They're some of the most frightening-looking werewolves, I think, yeah. in any film I've seen. They're, they're not over-the-top CGI. They're not huge, gigantic, rippling muscles. They're just these no. bigger than normal, bigger than natural, and clearly more powerful than you monsters that are going to eat yeah. you. you know they're not going to fight about it they're not going to kill you first and then eat you they're just going to eat you i found i found one of the original chest and heads from the original film that was up for um not on ebay but on one of these uh horror.com places where you could you know try and buy them and uh i was trying to i was trying to trying to convince the better half that it would look good in the corner of the room. But she decided not. <laughs> but I was just, oh God, I could actually have an actual werewolf out of that movie wow. sat in the corner of the room, you know. So That would yeah. be pretty cool. But yet again, I, I really liked the way that they had the, the juxtaposition of the, the werewolves, even though they're the baddies, they're actually this little family that are just in the middle of nowhere in Scotland doing their own thing and they're only doing this to survive. Who are the real bad people in this? And it's the the human sergeant who's the actual Yeah. Sorry to swear, I don't know if that's okay. It, it, who is the actual nasty person. Yes. So I, I really I really love the way that they they did that. It was fantastic. And I think for me again that changed the genre because up to that point everyone wanted to seem to be able to do the American werewolf in London again. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it was a it was a real change. Yeah, yeah. agreed. That was a, that was a, I'd call that pre- pretty hardcore. It it actually it's w- one of the few films in adult life that's made me feel tense watching it. Yeah, and it's so so well done when the when the the cow falls out of yeah. the sky when they're, when they're all sat around chatting and he's in the middle of the talk about his pal. <laughs> whose ass cheek tattoo got blown off and it was the last thing of him, this devil's head. And then suddenly this cow falls out of the sky and you're just like, oh, this is fantastic. And all the little references to other films in there, you know, when, when the character Spoon dies and then they're all sat around in the kitchen, he goes, where's Spoon? And then one turns around with the famous Matrix line, there is no Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, this is brilliant. This is what it should be like. You yeah. know, and I, I try and do that in my writing. I'm constantly trying to get little, because some people get them. Yes. And then other people don't. Yeah. So I, I'm always trying to find little references because I'm always surprised by how many people come back and go, you said this, which is out of Wombles 1972. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you've got to drop some of those things in there, right? And, and yeah, in, even if you don't get the feedback, you know there's some, some kind of super fan out there somewhere, genre super oh, fan, yeah. who you know is just doffing their cap at you somewhere in the distance yeah. and you think, yeah, that's true. Because, I, I did that, yeah. <laughs> because, because one of the great pleasures about looking at all these films that I did for the Werewolf uh, movie book was finding the little Easter eggs where one links to right. another one. And you got, you know, like, yeah, like in, in the background of one of the Howling films is a, a, a mask of uh, Cheney's original Wolfman. Is there? And it just, just walked past it briefly, and you know it's like a moment of. <laughs> okay. And I, after watching it, you go, oh, <laughs> that's amazing! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I love that. But yeah, definitely, two thousand and four, Dog Soldiers. They always said they'd make a second one, and I'm really glad they didn't. 
Yeah, sometimes you've just got to leave perfect things as, as they are, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I'm glad you watched Way For Sure. Another, yeah. another uh, werewolf film that was quite influential on me um, was A Company of Wolves. Yeah, that's, that's very esoteric, isn't it? Yeah, now the reason that that, I guess, got its hooks into me was because at the time my dad was driving taxis. Right. In, uh, we lived in Claygate in Surrey in the south of England, uh, which is not a million miles away from Shepparton, where Shepparton Film Studios uh, wow. used to be. I don't know. probably still is. Yeah. I don't know. And a significant part, if not all of that film, was shot there. All right. So my dad wound up taking a number of cast members and crew members from their digs uh, to the film yeah. studios in the mornings and picking them up in the evenings. And they were telling him all about, oh, yeah, there's going to be stuff in here, like the transformation is going to rip his skin off and the fur will come out from underneath. And that was absolutely the first time anything like that had been done on yeah. film as well. And my dad was telling me about all this while they were still shooting it. Uh, so I couldn't wait to see this film when it came out. I guess it was about 1986 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't remember the exact. The problem, problem with writing this book is that after you've watched 300 odd films, they sort of all sort of merge yeah. into one. So yeah, yeah, it, it was in the it was in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, I remember I remember seeing that as well, and yet another take on the whole idea of the beast being within yeah. you know um i really i really liked the, the way that they did that um it would be quite good if they could like redo that film but with modern day sort of effects yeah. because it wasn't it was a really effect based film it was it needed it needed to be very good you know so yeah, yeah there's been no, in it great. where where the um the the woman whose husband has run off and and joined a wolf pack uh, and she's remarried and the wolf werewolf comes home and he's like, uh, you know, you've taken another man. Uh, you're not going to get away with this sort of thing. And he starts changing to a, uh, into a wolf and the, the wood, the woodsman comes home with his ax, with his big chopper and yeah. uh, lops its head off and it falls into a pail of milk. And uh, these days it would look like a head. But yeah, in that era, it looked like a football with lipstick on. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't quite the same, you know. Even then, no. it didn't quite feel real. It's... I know, but 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 I try I try and convince the younger generation that back then that was terrifying. It was. <laughs> it still was. I mean, it was. Like, oh, do you see that? He chopped his head off. Yeah. Um, but what I like to do is when they go, yeah, but it doesn't look anything like it, and I go, yeah, but we had an imagination. <laughs> <laughs> We have to. <laughs> the old man in me comes out. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So look, let's yeah. let's have a little think about um, you know, how the portrayal of the werewolf has changed. Because we're we're at a point, I guess, in history here where we've mm. we've sort of moved through the rubber and plastic special effects of the eighties, seventies, eighties, and nineties, I guess, in the nineties with the Jurassic Park era things started yeah. to change, but in horror movies, they didn't necessarily have the same budget that they had for Spielberg, so they didn't look quite as good. But by the time, you know, the turn of the century had come and gone, uh, this stuff was looking pretty good, right? And things like the Underworld series came in. How, how do you yeah. think things changed around that time? I, I, I really I really liked the Underworld series. I think that was, well, I mean, the initial couple were probably 
fantastic. Uh, I think I think what brought the Underworld serv- series to head was Blade. Mm-hmm. This, yep. different, this different kind of portrayal of these characters and the fact that the 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 vampires weren't necessarily these evil gothic people who walked around in you know long day coats and all that kind of stuff but they're actually characters out there and things like that so i i, I look at after blade that seems to be the point where this new kind of wave of action hero kind of it's not really a horror movie anymore it's kind of an action movie Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got the two teams, um, and I, I kind of wondered where it was going. But you're right with the with the limited CGI that the that they even had then. It is a, a fantastically written film. The battle battle between the the werewolves and the the vampires, and and learning that actually the werewolves aren't the bad guys, and seeing this this vampire character go. Oh God, what what have I done? You know, I've got it all wrong, and all this kind of thing was actually really, really nice as well. Yeah. It was Kate's Beck Beckinsale as well, wasn't it? So, in in I mean, I have this thing for superhero landings, and I think <laughs> Kate's superhero landing at the start of the very first Underworld started just that. I mean, there's a guy on YouTube has a has a YouTube uh, video of about. 150 superhero landings okay and the one that it focuses on is that kate beckinsale moment where she falls from the sky so yeah yeah it's very very good film um where's the genre going now yeah um, yeah yeah i mean that i've liked some of the the modern films in the woods and all these kind of things where they're they're looking at the idea of um acceptance of being different mm-hmm. so like ginger snaps was kind of along those lines and stuff yeah. you know the, the girls are werewolves they're yeah. different and yeah I, I kind of like that and um with the more sort of modern look on society we're getting a lot of like the idea of lbgtq acceptance and how difficult it would be to be something different yes and all these things i i, I kind of like it when we go off at the angle of this is something different, but we just need to to accept it. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that I struggle with is now is the fluffiness and the mm-hmm. cuteness and the romanticness. And I mean, I think Disney Disney have have hurt me deeply. <laughs> the zombies movies and when Twilight came out, um, yeah, I read the first fifteen pages of Twilight and then sat there and becried the loss of my world. You made a lot of money, Miss Myers, and, and 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 you deserve it because you've got a wonderful audience and they're lovely and everything, but you you, you killed things for me. Yeah. Sparkly vampires, no, sorry. Sparkly vampires, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and werewolves that imprint on you. Yeah. 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 I have to say, um, I don't begrudge the existence of of that type of thing because it has a mark, right? And people, if people want to read it and watch it and all that kind of stuff, great, because it's, it's, it's entertainment at the end of the day. Uh, Yeah. It's just not for me. I guess I, (laughs) I, I I do grieve ever so slightly for the loss of the curse. (laughs) Yeah. This this is supposed to, you know, vampires and werewolves are supposed to be bad things for society, right? Not necessarily things that teenage girls should aspire to having a relationship with. Not, not really. I, I, I think, I, I don't know. I, again, 
it's just someone's interpretation of of what what they see as a a possibility and it's the misunderstood outcast and yeah i get all that That's kind of stuff and the, the romanticizing that and everything but yeah and i mean i don't know how you feel when i when i look at my my book numbers and stuff like that i should really be writing werewolf erotic fiction yeah if absolutely. I want to, you, know, <laughs> you know because there's a lot of werewolf erotic fiction um, yeah. and someone disturbingly sent me um what is it? Bigfoot erotic fiction the other oh, day, wow. just for a while. Yeah, it's big. That's it's a big thing. You see, I would so, have said that sounds a bit niche, but maybe I'm just being old fashioned. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't I've, I haven't read it. I got it through the post and I looked at it and I was a bit scared. But, you know, uh, I will read it at some point just because I have to. But, yeah, I, I think it's it's taken a it's taken a, a definite turn in, in a direction that um i'm not overly fond of personally i'm i'm waiting i'm waiting for the next um i don't know if it's going to be a werewolf in london type thing but yeah th- this idea of the, these creatures being horrific horrible monsters again would be good yes yeah, yeah. yeah. as i say i i don't have a problem with this new sort of uh lycanthrope subgenre existing because i think it's a different market right it's a separate yeah. market and i think there's room for both to exist what i th- i think uh i'd like to see is a return to the mainstream if you like of some of that sort of traditional approach to to describing this stuff that it should frighten you it should be frightening yeah. and he, and whether you're laughing at the same time as pooping your pants or it's just scary. Both yeah. of those things are great for me. I, lo- I love both of those things. I mean, as it, we, you know, I came into this room through the Abbott and Costello door. I love a good laugh <laughs> at this stuff at the yeah. same time. Um, and I think, but you, I think your book, your book itself has an overriding sort of, there's something in the background that's going wrong, doesn't it? And I think that's, that's what overrides your, your writing. It's how is he going to deal with this? Yes. He has good friends. He has good friends around him to help him out. Um, but how is he going to deal with this? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, and that's and that's a sort of nuance of it, I guess, is that um, he assembles this this uh, quite diverse team of people with different attributes and backgrounds and you know things they bring to the table. But there is still the the overarching question of if can he handle it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, he he seems to be getting to like it at one point and then you know everyone around him is like trying to talk him out of it and i can put myself in his shoes going why would i want this not to be a good thing you know this is great you know yeah <laughs> so yeah it's a it, it's a difficult one i think i think with my my particular take on all this is that i wanted i just wanted a complete anti-villain yeah you know like he often does wonderful things by accident he does um, yeah so he, he and he just doesn't care and that's one of my favorite aspects about about him he just doesn't he's not he's not a traditional werewolf in any way shape or form but he just doesn't care and one of the things i've one of the things that i've really struggled with in, with in life is happily ever afters mm-hmm. i don't think every story should end with happily ever after i always i always think a proper fairy tale the witch would win <laughs> you know yeah. 
No, Snow White would be dead. Well, the witch you know? is the one that's got the superpowers at the end of the day. Yeah. Right? And it's like, this isn't real life. We're, we're lying to our children. Yeah. You know, it's not the it's not the nice people who win in the end. Normally, I'm not saying it's not the case most of the time. But I, I, have you recently like read the Brothers Grimm, the originals? I have not. They're some of the most horrific tales you could ever. I, thinking those are children's tales is terrible. I, I recently read Peter Pan as well, uh-huh. and that was that's mind blowing as a children's book. One of my favorite lines ever in a children's book is that. Uh, the fairies stumbled past Peter drunk on their way home from the orgy. They didn't want to wake them. Wow. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, it's a children's book. <laughs> really? I mean, clearly, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. yes. I'm like, what? Pardon? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the Disney, uh, printed Disney version of it that I had went in about 1974, um, didn't have that detail in as far as I can No. No, but I, 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 I decided recently that I'd, I'd read, reread some fairy tales because one of the, one of my, one of my big things is to, is to show that life isn't fair, yeah. and that fairy tales don't necessarily happen. And um, I think you do the same in your writing. It's that something can change just with a second, boof, and that, that's everything's changed. Then, yeah, you know, sliding doors. Yeah, right. like, and I, I think left or right, what well, and it. The difference can be everything. Yeah, and it's just a, a moment's choice or a second that changes everything in life. You know, I, I like it when Willie's being pushed and pushed and yeah. pushed and pushed, and he's sit there and taking it and taking it and taking it. And that's how I build up my tension is like, when is he going to pop? Is he going to pop? He might not pop. Is he going to? And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't, and sometimes he doesn't know how to react. So I think I, I build my tension in a very different way than most werewolf genre books yeah i don't think i don't think i'm over egging it when i say that your um the relationship between will and fen the concept of the posit the the way that you approach um positioning the story it's unique i've not come across anything like it before and it's you know it's clearly hitting the sweet spot for a lot of people but that yeah piece about building the tension you know, you and I were chatting recently about your your vampire series within within the podcast yeah. episodes, and I went back and listened to those again. And, and uh, first off, I absolutely loved the humour in that the description of the vampires as these kind of preening prima donnas, and the posing <laughs> and the katana swords and leaping eye into their fantastic. Just really, I really loved that. But for sure, knowing that they were coming for Will and Fen and knowing that they were going to find them. And then that moment, and it, it was that sliding doors moment where it's like, oh, I might as well go and get them first sort of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <And> everything <laughs> changed, right? It all changed yeah. that moment. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love key moments like that. All, all the best books seem to be built around, or best stories, I should, should say, really, seem to be built around those those key moments and how they how they play out i just you know i just love that that time and seeing how your character reacts to it mm-hmm. you know um i when I, I i have a different series now at the moment with vikings which is a, um a character before will and fen met, met. so my my wolf soul's been through through a few characters and i've noticed the way that i write the viking character and how he reacts and what he does and even how he speaks 
how the prose comes out yeah. is entirely different. Yeah. And it's just it's just down to the character. It's not down to because I've had a few people come and say, you're you you've completely changed the way you write. And I've got no, that's Thorstein's voice. <laughs> it's very strange, isn't it? But yeah, I, I, I love the fact that we can take these beasts and make them into beasts again. It is good. And uh, yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. It's been a hugely successful trajectory i mean how, you've been doing this two years or so i i started i i got a, a really bad head injury in 2017 and um part of the part of the recovery was to um journal okay i wanted to journal everything in, in a day and all that kind of stuff and i found that i couldn't do that because i couldn't take myself seriously i'm, I'm not one of these people that can affirmate and look at the look at the mirror and go you're an amazing person because <laughs> can't i just look at myself and go no you're not um so instead of instead of doing that i just i designed a character and and started going through the character and the character got a voice and then i noticed there was this odd side to this character where there was what i was thinking and then there was what i was really thinking Mm -hmm. and it i noticed there's these two parts of me and then what i did was then i went perfect i love werewolves this is my animal side this is my werewolf spirit or whatever you know and then took those apart and then suddenly this whole set of ideas came and i, I just started it as a hobby mm-hmm. and yeah it's it it really is quite frightening but by my lack of professionality <laughs> about how good it's got because i i did it for a giggle and a laugh yeah and yeah. Now I get people from all over the world asking me questions. And, you know, I had one young lady messaging me saying how upset she was that one of the characters died. And is Sally going to live? And is this going to happen? And who's going to do this? And like that. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> what a compliment, though. What an incredible compliment that people really, really care about. They, they really care about the characters. Yeah, they really care about the characters. And I mean, well you're doing exactly the same thing aren't you it's it's like i think when you put love and trust in these beings that you've created i mean what I, what i liked when i spoke about you is you referenced oh this is my teacher when i was 15 years old mm-hmm. you know you know that character absolutely inside out uh, yeah. you know I, I mean my character's me but yes you know ernest yeah <laughs> indeed and i'm sure you I'm sure you know Nick. I'm sure you know Charlie. I'm- Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and you know how to react. You know, <laughs> indeed. And and um, for the, for anyone who's listening to this, or anyone who might be listening to this, who either went to school with me, or who's read Il Lupo, um, Fen's referring to the character Ernest Wainwright, who both looks and speaks like an old English teacher of mine, um, Lucas <laughs> uh, Humphrey Lucas, who was a fantastic. English teacher and he looked a bit like William Shakespeare and he really? didn't quite pronounce his W's as R's but he very nearly did and and that's a line in the book um see those are, those are the characters I love because if if he tried to make them up they wouldn't exist no. do you know what I mean they'd, be, they'd seem completely ridiculous yeah. if you tried to make them up you know so I, I love I love that when you find these real 
real characters in life. Uh, I, I, I've often done that with a podcast. I've been talking to someone or doing something and gone, you're in the next one because you're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we recently touched base on somebody that we both encountered on social media. And I said to you, perhaps you ought to write this, this fella into a yeah, yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a very strange way of introducing himself to the group, didn't he? <laughs> it was, I'm going to say eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Definitely yeah. I, I was I was both proud that one of the moderators took him off and quite disappointed that one of the moderators <laughs> took him off because I thought this is going to be hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> oh, this is going to run and run. <laughs> yeah, this is this is going to be fantastic. But yeah, it was a sadly a, a short time, and I, I'm sure I should try and keep the the Facebook group kind of within sort of I don't know professional standards. I don't yeah. Know. I, I, that's one of the things I struggle with. Does it with you? Is like the idea of like, is this fun or I mean, is it? Because now, now I'm like, now I'm I'm doing well, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing well because there's nothing to substantiate that. I've got some numbers, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really substantiate it and make it a real thing. So like, I've got a lot of people saying, "Oh, you you need to tone this down a bit," or. I've talked to a few companies and say, oh, you can't go along this line or you, you need to, you know, you need to swerve this bit of, and I'm like, do I, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Do you, do you self-center to censor? I, I mean, the answer is yes. Because, right. the, because my imagination is pretty wild. And I, <laughs> I genuinely think if I was just to write all the stuff that's in my head, I'd get locked up in a paddy room <laughs> and, uh, be, and that would probably be the right thing to do if I decided to write some of this stuff, you know, <laughs> but, um, but, and, and yet I think I try and position myself in such a way that I can express my imagination, my creativity unbridled. I yeah. just don't put myself in a scenario where doing so is going to, properly cancel me or really upset anyone because ultimately I want people to be able to come along to the stories I tell and take them or leave them I don't want them yeah. to be so desperately offended by the concept that they're like I, I hate that and I hate what yeah. you've done there uh, they don't have to like it that's fine but I don't want to inspire hatred in people um, that's no. what I'm doing it for I want to share stuff that can inspire the imagination in other people and i think there's a level of i want to be as inclusive as i can without trying yeah. to force anything yeah I, I, it's not really the, the the inclusivity bit that that scares me it's just the it's uh, there's a there seems to be like a lot of people out there that train like I, I, you've probably found it yourself with publishers and things like that they try and put limits and controls on on what you're producing or editors and things like that and what I loved about the podcast was it was the first time where that wasn't something they could do because you just, you, you make it, you say it and it's out there and then you regret it. It's just a funny, funny way of doing it. And again, the way that I did it was I hid, I've hidden behind this character, uh, Will, who isn't me. And there's in everything, there's no reference to who I am or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I can kind of just pass it off all onto these characters. So it's kind of a sneaky way of getting around that. But yeah, it's just it's just strange how I don't know. Is it acceptable? Is it not acceptable? Like I don't know. It's a bit of a weird one. I find it odd. Yeah. 
Well, yes, it feels like we've probably done quite a decent amount of uh, exploration for the first episode, and we should probably yeah. leave some subject matter for the <laughs> for the future pods. Um, yeah. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. I mean, I've obviously we know each other and we we speak, and I I know of some of the things of which you speak, and other things yeah. have been absolutely you know, new ground for me. And it's been great hearing you talk about this stuff with the passion and enthusiasm yeah. you have for this. And, uh, so well, I just, I'm just glad that we, uh, that you, that you're going to do this because you've been outreaching to other authors and stuff like that, which often doesn't happen. I mean, the problem for authors and people like ourselves as creators is we tend to live in our own little bubbles. Yes. And I mean, yes. if, if I leave the house once a week, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. So it's been, it's been great because uh, the interactions that you have with other people in our genre and beyond is is going to be. I, I think you're going to be very successful in this in this podcast because you know it's it's bringing lots of people together, which doesn't very happen very often in what we do, really. So it's yeah. quite cool. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. I mean, I'd I'd like for it to be fun. I'd like for it to be informative and you know an opportunity for you know people like us to come together and, and expand our network and share our thoughts and imaginations. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I, 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 I do like it. And there are some, there are some people out there that, that we need to uh, have a, a interviewed and chatted with because they've got some great ideas in life. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and there are some we should definitely avoid. <laughs> well, my, my favorite lady ever, if you're listening to this, is my wear unicorn from San Francisco. She's fantastic. There you so go. There you go. I, I, I will be speaking to you soon because you're fantastic. So, yes. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I've enjoyed that very much. And, uh, yeah. Brilliant. I thought we can make an entertaining thing. It's been awesome having, having you on this first of five episodes we we're planning together on this one subject. There may be other episodes in the future where uh, Fen and I just get into other subjects where we've got uh, shared interests and that there's plenty of them actually. Um, mm. But that was an awesome chat. Uh, I loved it. And um, we've definitely been at it for a while and it was it yeah. felt easy to cover that amount of time. Uh, no problem at all. But you know what? The fire no longer roars in the hearth. <laughs> <laughs> it's radiance reduced the ice has melted in my macallan to the shimmering glow of a dying ember the moon yes. is sinking below the trees and the break of dawn will soon be upon us uh, and i hope everybody's enjoyed this as much as the two of us have uh, oh was that a, was that a starling i heard in the distance the dawn chorus perhaps Maybe, Maybe it was. Maybe it was. We'll be back next time and we'll be sinking our teeth into the rich vein of subject matter that is werewolves in literature. Lycanthrope literature next time, I think we're, we're planning on doing. But if it's not, that's all right. We'll put them out in whatever order you know we think seems <laughs> to fit the bill. Um, Definitely. So whatever happens, get ready for that. And I, I hope you enjoy that one as much as we've enjoyed oh, this. Oh, we've, we've not done the thing where we go, find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on all social well, platforms. Look, you're going to find Fen on all major um, social media platforms. You're going to find him on multiple YouTube channels, depending on which of his interests you want to follow. I just want to say something. I am an absolute horrendous slater of really bad writers and really bad literature. And when I read 
uh, Greg's book, I was actually disgusted on how much I liked it because I really <laughs> wanted to slate it. And I, I got through it in three days, which is not good for me. So um, go buy his book because, to be honest, it is, it is really good. And I should know because I've read some really bad ones. <laughs> you are yeah. very kind, sir. You are no very worries. kind. Okay. Well, to the next time, sir. To the next time. Cheers. And before then, everybody... Tune in to and download Werewolf the Podcast, a werewolf story with Fenrir Thorvaldson. Get it anywhere you can get your podcasts, uh, and I promise you, you'll be the better for it. All right, till next time. It's good night from me, and it's good night from him. Good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>